Welcome to Unlocking Brand, a part of our Siegel & Gale podcast series. Here, our global brand experts host live case studies, deliver actionable insights, and answer key questions on the topics that matter to brand marketers today. In this episode, our president for the Pacific Rim, Jason Seaslack, and group director of brand communication, Gina Kim, are joined by Marietta Hannigan, executive vice president, chief strategy, corporate development, and communications officer at Jacobs for an in-depth conversation on how to weave inclusion and diversity into the fabric of your brand. Hello, everybody. I'm Jason Cieslak, and I'm the president of Siegel & Gale, and I look after our operations in the Pacific Rim. Welcome to Unlocking Brand. It's our bi-weekly virtual web series where our global brand consultants deliver actionable insights, host live case studies, and answer key questions on the topics that really matter to brand marketers today. Inclusion and diversity is on everyone's minds, and rightfully so. It's a topic that is long overdue and critical to advancing our organizations and society as a whole. But how do you make sure that your inclusion and diversity efforts are not just contributing to lip service? How do you build inclusion and diversity into the very fabric of your company so it's authentic and true, not just to the people you aim to recruit, advocate for, and retain, but to who you are as an organization? Today, we're going to talk to a company that has not just embedded inclusion and diversity into how it operates, but aligned it with who it truly is as an organization. It is among the numerous things that makes Jacobs an amazing organization. And after a global rebrand last year, it's now better able to tell its story of how inclusion and diversity isn't just important, but imperative for the success of its future. So today, I'm joined by Gina Kim. She's our group director of brand communications for Siegel & Gale. And our client, Marietta Hannigan, she's the Senior Vice President, Chief Strategy and Communications Officer at Jacobs. Gina and Marietta will share Jacobs' journey when it comes to inclusion and diversity, the role that brand purpose and our partnership played in helping to create it, and the key imperatives to ensuring the success of creating a truly inclusive and diverse organization. I'm going to turn things over now to my colleague, Gina Kim. Gina, you want to take it away? Yeah. Great. So, you know, today we're really going to take you on a journey of company. Um, it started embedding the idea of caring into the fabric of who it was 15 years ago after a, a tragedy that hit 15 employees. And that culture be, really was grown, developed, fostered over the years. And it really paved the way for our brand work. So we were able to take that nugget of authenticity about who the brand is and who the company is and build that into a brand story. And by building that story and that narrative and bringing all the pieces together, it really set up Jacobs this summer to create a courageous and ambitious plan to advance justice and quality. So, you know, one piece, it's culture of caring and it's inclusion initiatives and saying, you know what, we need to do something. We need to stand up. And so we love the evolution that this, is, this has taken. When we're talking about inclusion, we're talking about race, we're talking about gender, background, age, sexual orientation, physical and cognitive capabilities, worldview, even experience. We're talking about the fact that, you know, we are all the same, yet we are all also different. And we're really proud of those differences. We want to celebrate those differences. And it's really never mattered more than now. There are a lot of brands out there that have done a really great job of ingraining, you know, champions of courage into who they are as an organization. Nike has done a great job of elevating champions of courage. 
We look at a company like Ben and Jerry's, who has, you know, their political activism in their flavors and every story that they tell as an organization. And then we have companies that have, you know, smaller actions, subtle or not so subtle, that talks about how to, you know, preserve um, open spaces and open space protection, which really aligns with the brand's Patagonia. So it makes a lot of sense. There are a lot of companies out there that do this as well. I just have to read this because I think it's so funny. But, you know, we at Brand are committed to fighting injustice by posting images to Twitter that express our commitment to fighting injustice. To that end, for the solemn white on black JPEG that expresses vague solidarity with the black community, but will quietly align the specifics of what is wrong, needs to change, or in what ways we will do anything about it. This is doubly true if the brand is particularly guilty of exacerbating these issues. We all know these brands and we know that, you know, this is a tough moment in time to figure out what is the right way, what is the action we need to take, and how can we actually achieve that? So today we're really going to dig into how do you ensure that inclusion and diversity are authentic and true to you as a company. And we've got five keys to making that really reflect the fabric of who you are. And the very first one is making sure that it actually aligns with your culture and your values. It has to make sense, right? You should have evidence um, in plain sight, in your history, in your DNA, that this is actually true to who you are. And you need to connect those dots through storytelling. We're going to tell the story today of Jacobs. This is a $13 billion professional services company, 55,000 people around the world working out of 400 offices. The clients include NASA, government agencies. It works in smart cities, aerospace, resilient environments, you know, basically all the things that, you know, dictate how we live today and into the future, Jacobs touches. And we partnered in 2018 to better tell the story of who Jacobs is. There are some important milestones here to discuss when it comes to actually diversity and inclusion. 15 years ago, Marietta and I joked that it was all about, you know, grab a woman, put them in the room with no support, no thought about development. And essentially, you know, that has evolved over 15 years. So Marietta, tell us a little bit about this timeline. So you mentioned earlier the safety incident. So just to kind of go back in time, Jacobs as a company has always had a really strong uh, commitment to safety. And we drove really great, you know, safety results, et cetera, over the years. And in 2005, we had a terrible tragedy. It was the BP Texas City disaster. And numerous employees of ours um, were killed in that explosion. And so it was that, you know, event and that moment in time that we grabbed, quite frankly, and really did some soul searching and said, where are we headed with this? We had great safety statistics, but look, these kinds of things still happen. So that was the birth for us of a program we call Beyond Zero, which really meant, you know, getting your safety stats as low as they go isn't the objective, it's to actually blow through that. So for us, that meant widening safety, bringing it into our, quite frankly, our homes and our families and our friends, but also then taking it to the next level. So we took the beyond zero and safety, expanded that to culture of caring. And then when you go through time, that, that embraced everything about inclusion, but it also hit on positive mental health. So we really just kept pushing on what is the next element 
of really, again, that culture of caring that we should be driving, not just again with our employees, but our families, our clients, et cetera. So that was the event that kind of triggered that. Other things along the the timeline you you've got there, and I think uh, you're going to talk about that later. But you know, employee networks. So we had a women's network back in 2006, and and again, so it was an attempt or it was a start at at really trying to drive some gender diversity. But really, it was the step change started to happen when Steve Dimitro, we had a new CEO, came in in 2005. And this was, uh, he walked into the room and his executive leadership team was all male and all white. And that was a bit of a wake up call for Steve. And again, he started really putting intention behind and making bold moves, quite frankly, behind our push at initially gender diversity and now all aspects of inclusion, really. You see some other things on there again, sustainability, it's to our core, it's a big piece of our of what we believe in our company purpose. We've since also launched Climate Action Plan. We made a major acquisition in 2017, which was CH2M Hill. Fantastic company that really aligned culturally with us, but also really helped drive us to the next level of our um, evolution from a cultural standpoint. I think it's just been really shape-shifting for us. Other things we've done, again, on that, that journey of culture of caring, but the real inclusion, our inclusion focus, conscious inclusion training, we've trained all of our 55,000 people back in 2019. And, and again, I think that has really helped us as we've navigated some of the things that, that we've all dealt with, you know, as a world community in, uh, in 2020. And then, you know, you've got a point, again, point in time there, 2020, the executive leadership team is now 50% female, 50% male, but more importantly, a diversity, ethnic diversity as well, which is is fantastic. And Steve all has also has driven that into the board of directors. So, so anyway, that's just kind of maybe some highlights on the journey, just moments in time that kept pushing us to do more. Yeah, I love that. And I love that, you know, your conscious inclusion training, most people go through unconscious bias training, but you know, with everything that you do, you really take an extra step forward and say, is it unconscious bias? But what's the next step? What's actionable about that, right? It's inclusion. And so um, just really thoughtful on every step of the road. And, you know, it really paved the way for us to be able to create this great brand together. You mentioned these employee-led, employee-organized groups. More than half of your employees are active in yes. at least one. Tell us a little bit about how these aren't just clubs, right? You, you tell no. issue what I was like. And you're like, it's so much more. So no. tell us about that. So I will say all these networks have, um, you know, they have a really a great time working together, but really they're driving our purpose, to be honest with you. And so, and they're working with our customers. We really see these network groups as so much more than, than social groups. They're really helping us grow our business. Like I say, they're very engaged uh, with our customers. They're engaged in community outreach. They're engaged in, quite frankly, recruitment and retention. One of the groups on there, just as an example, Harambe, really led the way of this summer after George, George Floyd was murdered in really having and sponsoring courageous conversations across the globe. I mean, we had tens of thousands of people that were participating in those calls. So again, a, a way that they've stepped up. I think the other aspect of the networks, and, and maybe just again, going back to the acquisition of CH, 
this was something that they really brought to us. We had a couple of networks at the time that we merged with them, but we had our careers network or what we used to call Jacob's Futures and we had our women's network, but we really didn't have the rest of these networks. So I think we've really in coming together have really ratcheted this up and, and they're all sponsored. They all have executive sponsorship. Now they're run by the employee base but there's an executive sponsor. So somebody on Steve's executive leadership team is a sponsor. He and I, as an example, co-sponsor the Women's Network, but also then uh, members of the senior leadership team. So there's an SVP involved in each one of these, again, as a executive leader, but the, the groups themselves are really driving. They're deciding the initiatives, they're communicating, they're managing their budget, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's, it's just a really powerful, powerful part of our culture. Yeah, and I love to tap into them with any business decision. I know with the brand, the employee networks oh, yeah. are really critical in, in getting their feedback and their buy-in and their engagement. So truly a business driver for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, and I also think it's important to talk about why you call it inclusion diversity. We always hear about diversity, equality, inclusion. Um, inclusion is always tacked up at the end, but you've really swapped that. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. yeah. I think it really goes to the culture. I think you have to have an inclusive culture and then diversity comes, but you can have all kinds of diversity, but if you don't have an inclusive culture, then that those diverse thinkings and people and cultures, they don't have a seat at the table. So you really have to create a culture where you value, embrace and leverage, quite frankly, all the different ideas and thoughts and perspectives from the folks out there. So that was a move we made a couple of years ago in flipping that. And it was, a, you know, it was one of those kind of aha moments where it was like, well, of course, this just makes sense. It really should be inclusion. So, so you'll hear us talk much more about inclusion and, and the culture that, that that really drives in the organization. Let's talk about the brand work. So in late 2018, we were engaged to help better tell the Jacobs story. So, you know, there have been, you do a lot of great things, but it's one of the biggest companies that no one's ever heard of, I feel like is what we've heard a lot. Yeah. Your hand is in the way we live, the way that we, the world moves, what we're doing in outer space. And in any brand project that we take on, you know, it's really important for us to really dig in, understand what makes a brand special, what makes a company special internally, as well as externally with your clients. We talk to 6,200 employees and focus groups and workshops. We talk to 1,200 clients and shareholders and surveys and interviews. And, you know, one of the things that we found um, consistently Jason always was sick of hearing, oh, we love our Jacobs client. We love our Jacobs client. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things we consistently found was the way you approach everything you do, truly changing the status quo, saying, wait, just because it's done this way doesn't mean we have to keep doing this. And in that process, you're really reinventing what the future holds for us. And so we built that into the tagline, the brand story, the purpose. And, and we even built it into the visual identity and, sure. and in this J-mark um, with the challenging today, smile, and then the reinventing tomorrow on that arrow. And we had to convince you that you had to do a full rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. So a great new logo for you, but also virtual, you know, visually, you know, how that actually shows up in your storytelling, this idea that it's really about 
impact and the changes that you're creating. And, you know, really questioning um, the way we do things in the past in order to, to make a better world into the future. And also as part of that brand work, we helped you take a look at your values. There were, there were a number of things before. And uh, Marianne, I remember your issue was that nobody could remember any of them. And so we ended up with four. We challenged, we accepted, we aim higher, we do things right, we live inclusion. That inclusion piece was really critical. Tell us about why that was so important to include here. Well, you know, as we were talking about them, so we did have, we had three values and quite frankly, people could remember what the phrase was for the value, but they didn't really remember what it meant. And so that was what was great about this process is we really stepped and we said, you know, there's just tremendous great things about the company and what has made the company, you know, what it is today. But let's re-dissect those and look at them in the context of today. So as we did that, we, that's how we came up with these values. And I do think they're resonating with our people. You can see them every day, you know, quite frankly, in the actions we take. And, and that's another thing. We look at those as a way really to evaluate decisions as we're making them to, against those core values. So I think that's important. But as we looked at them, we said, without inclusion, none of the rest of this can happen. So inclusion, we really think, is the foundation. So if you look at um, challenging the accepted or, or aiming higher, you have to be able to bring the best brains, the, the different ideas, et cetera, to the table to be able to actually challenge and to be able to come up with something that nobody's come up with before. So again, we just think inclusion is just such a huge part of how we do our business, how we interact with our customers. And again, it, it's really the foundational value on which the others are built. Yeah, I love that. And I remember there was a lot of thought actually to the order of these too. And, and ending inclusion was really um, important because that really was the foundation of everything that you do. Yes. So the second key to making sure that, you know, you're really embedding inclusion and diversity into who you are as an organization is it has to be sponsored, supported, and championed from the very, very top. I love this quote from Steve. Walking into Jacobs in 2015, I saw the lack of gender diversity, ethnic diversity, and even geographic diversity in the executive leadership team. When things present themselves so you can't look away, you have to take action. Steve, yep. and what conclusion is important to him? Yeah. So he's got an interesting background and um, story. And when we've been, you know, chatting about this, you know, over the you know last several years, actually, it's it wasn't one thing, it was sort of a series of things he said in his lifetime that really brought him to, to be such an advocate, if you will, for inclusion. And he's a, a Greek American, grew up in a, with English as a second language in his home. And so he said, you know, as a boy, he always sort of felt like an outsider and, you know, with his friends and he had, you know, lots of friends and everything, great childhood. But again, you know, he was not quite, you know, the, uh, Again, without English as, as your first language, he felt a little bit different. And then as he grew, though, in his career, and it's interesting, he moved over to Europe, his first like big promotion as a VP, and he was given um, the responsibility for a major oil and gas company to run their operations in Europe. And when he got over there, he saw himself thriving. And it was because he was in this multicultural, you know, Europe is all these different countries and everyone with different language, different people, cultures, customs, you name it. And because, again, he felt like he was part of that, he also had different dimensions to him. He really found himself thriving where other expats and things like that 
maybe struggled a bit. So I think that's where, you know, he just really kind of um, really took it on and started bringing it into his business. And then he's also, and I thought this was, was interesting that, you know, he said there were moments in time where you, you actually start to see things through a different lens. And, and one of those, again, when he walked into to Jacobs in 2015 and was confronted with a bit of a homo, again, great company, but a bit of a homogeneous executive leadership team. And so that was, you know, kind of the wake up call to him that he needed to drive a, a different culture and, and bring diverse thoughts and perspectives and things to the table. So, so that is really what drove him and the thought of inspiration. His belief is if you're going to have an inspiring culture, then you're going to do that by inspiring your people and through different perspectives and again, all at the table. So, so that's really been, you know, what, what drove him to this. I love that. And this summer, George Floyd's murder, he was active and he was out in the front of saying, you know, we need to do something as an organization. You know, initially there was these eight positive actions that had included courageous conversations, an employee donation matching campaign for racial injustice causes, as well as leaning into Harambe, your Black Employee Network, to facilitate these safe conversations. Tell us a little bit about how this came to be um, this summer. Yeah, well, we had, it was our Harambe Network Group, and actually the chapter of the network group that's down in uh, South Florida. And so they basically, again, just grassroots said, we've got to do something. We've got to make change. And so we're going to put an action plan together. Then they expanded it from there and pulled people from other um, areas of the um, of the company into that. And then it got elevated. And, and but again, elevated, they were just going to go implement it. And when Steve took a look at that, and then brought it to the executive leadership team and ultimately the board of directors. He said, we're going to embrace this as a company. This is a great initiative that you've started, but this needs to be across the company, not in the United States, but to you know, turn our eye on this moment. We have to be out there. So he championed this. And again, I said, brought it to the board of directors. The board of directors unanimously said, absolutely, move forward with this. And anyway, and that's really how that started. So it was employees who just felt strongly about it. And at the same time, you know, we were moving in that direction. Yeah, and we'll talk yeah. about the specifics of that plan in a little bit, but, you know, really important to, to that and get it championed from the very top in order for it to be successful. But also it's always really important to, you know, build and engage from uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the brand rollout um, and how that really set the stage for some of this collaboration, people understanding what actually it means to be an employee of Jacobs. But essentially, you know, when we, it was, I remember it was really important to you as, a, as an organization to say, we need to make sure that employees, every single employee knows about this new brand, is able to articulate it and is able to deliver on it in their actions and in their interactions. And so we helped create this microsite for you in which people got to, no matter where they were, because some of your employees aren't even on, are behind, you know, security walls on government campuses. But yet we were able to get them up to speed. What does it actually mean? What does this brand mean? What's the brand 101? What are some case studies and how we're already delivering on this? As well as I always love this Instagram feed where people kind of posted up funny photos. Uh, we saw a lot of Jacob's 
stickers and in odd places. And it was so much fun. But essentially, role brand across the organization first. So in a 24-hour period, 400 offices as they came online around the world, literally challenging today, reinventing a new brand in a 24-hour period before you actually launch that externally. But so critical to really get everybody on board. And, and once everyone really understood what challenging today and reinventing tomorrow was, it kind of set the stage for people to say, okay, I'm seeing something in the world that is not okay. And what are we going to do about it? And how can we collectively work together to challenge that status quo? You mentioned this really actionable plan, which you know is one of the keys to success and really embedding this. And, you know, as you mentioned, it started with your Harambe group in South Florida. It built and grew and was unanimously passed by the board. But essentially, you know, it was really identifying very solid steps of what it meant to amplify this culture of belonging, how to recruit, retain and advance black employees based on merit, as well as looking bigger, right? Looking beyond the company. But what are you doing um, in the broader society? And I love that there are very specific steps because this is where a lot of companies tend to fall down, right? Like they have great intentions, but don't know how to follow through and don't set those actual steps and and articulate them in order to be able to really set the path forward. But I love that in this case, it's, you know, really advancing, accelerating the advancement of Black employees with leadership development programs. $10 million over the next five years. I mean, really great ideas here. So tell us more about how everything, because I remember you saying, this is the first time you've done this as a company and that it felt very brave and courageous. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, well, first I have to correct something I've said and then you said, because he he would take me to task on this. We didn't go to the board for approval. We were moving forward with this, but Steve shared this with the board. Okay. And I think that's an important, you know what I mean? I think that's an important distinction. This was something that that we were moving forward with. But you mentioned earlier, we, you know, we've always been a company that, you know, we do good things, but we have been kind of the best kept secret. And we really have never gone out there publicly on what would be called social issues, if you will, in general, you know, overgeneralizing social issues. And this was really, and I think the brand became, quite frankly, our brand and the, you know, the the nine months that after we had launched it, you know, really became the platform that allowed this to happen because we really were continuing to really peel back the onion, quite frankly, look at things from different angles. And when this, you know, again, moment in time happened, it was, it was like, we need to make something happen here. There was a lot of pushback. Should we actually do this? And you see it right there in front of us to advance black employees. And we had lots of open. Again, Steve does town halls. Um, He was in the summer. We were doing them once a week with all of our global employees. And so everybody was engaged in these kinds of discussions. And and yes, all employees are important. There's lots of different you know, we have all kinds of different backgrounds of the company. But this was an area where if we weren't intentional in the same way that he was intentional with gender diversity, if we were not intentional in actually singling out how are we going to advance and change the dimension of the company relative to black employees, it would never happen. So he put a stake in the ground and said, we're going to do this and we are going to focus it on our black employees. 
And I think it becomes, quite frankly, the, the benchmark for, for how we continue to drive diversity across all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities, et cetera, in the company, but we need to make this, this happen. So we were very specific. We had lots of discussions about each one of these actions to be sure we could measure them and, and make sure we had the commitment behind them, which we all did. And uh, and yeah, some of those are, are um, scary, if you will, in that because we, we published it to the world. I think that's the scary part. So we yeah. have to hold ourselves yeah. accountable and, and we shared it with our investors and everything. So, so we're going to deliver on this and we already have actually been delivering on those actions. So it's pretty exciting, I think. Yeah, I remember, yeah. you know, when we had some early conversations, you were talking about kind of back in the day when there was this effort to advance more women. And yet it was, I think you said, grab a woman. And then we laughed about how maybe that wasn't the right choice of words, but it was truly, you know, how you actually set up. You can't just like make a call and say, we're going to do this. It's like, how are we going to actually support, develop and, and ensure the success, right? Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, every company, everybody's learned along the way. And I think, you know, if you go back to the, you know, the gender diversity and, and promoting females, it really, and we've had some really good success there, but we've also learned a lot of uh, lessons. If I go back to, you know, the early 2000s or even before that, you know, quite frankly, and I think you hit on it. It's really about not just being intentional that you're going to promote. It has to be the development piece. And I think now we're a much more mature organization in terms of thinking about that. We've got a fabulous CHRO who really drives talent development. And and I think that is really helping us tremendously. And so I think all of that really makes this more than just words on a piece of paper. And again, we're seeing the outcomes. So that I think is a really, really important thing. We're not putting people in places to say, okay, there's the rope, you know, figure out how to use it. We're actually saying, we want you to be a success. Here's some things we need to put around you to help you advance and make a success of your career. So I think it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. we do too. <laughs> um, and finally, you know, the fifth key to making sure this is a success is, and you know, as you alluded to, being able to measure and report, measure and report. It's not just about measuring progress, but it's about saying, hey, this is a priority for us. And this is why we're taking the time to actually measure our progress. Here are some of the slides that you shared. Just kind of pre-new brand on the right is post-brand. But essentially, you know, you uh, give a report every quarter, tell your shareholders about your progress and and delivering on your purpose. And on the left, you can see there's some great, you know, great plans for, you know, investments in people, places, and partnership. The fact that you were named a best place to work for the LGBTQ employees. But then, you know, after the brand, this is when you started announcing what the new brand was to your shareholders, as well as your action plan. You can kind of start seeing that the story really comes together. It helps really kind of, you know, it's the red thread that puts it all together. Yeah. Can you talk about how that's helped and and also how you plan on measuring into the future? Yeah, I think, well, the, the slides that are on the screen, so those are from our, you know, we're a publicly traded company, so we do quarterly investor calls. And so we put those things out there and have a good discussion on every one of our earnings calls. And and Steve talks about these. And so the first one, you know, at the top, just as an example, those were pre-brand. So you can see that we were already focused on sustainability. We were already focused on 
an inclusive culture, et cetera. But by putting it out there, again, people are gonna ask you, well, what are you doing on that? Last quarter, you said X, what, have you made progress? And so I think that's, for us, I think that's the big part is don't have actions that you just keep hidden inside, make yourself accountable by putting them out there um, in plain view and being very transparent. So that's really, I think the key thing. I think the other is that it forces you to also think what's next, you know, that that how are we going to continue to push the envelope um, on this? What are the kinds of things that we're doing, you know, in the area of just sustainability, which is, again, at just at the core of, of who we are also, you know, we, we have, if we hadn't put our plan beyond together and put it out there, you know, we wouldn't be making the progress. And we're you know, there's a long way to go, quite frankly, but we wouldn't have had the climate action plan which we launched in March. So those are the kinds of things that I think, you know, help you to look forward, not just measure what you put on that slide yesterday, but now what are we gonna do? Now, what are we gonna do? What is the next area we should be looking at here? That makes sense, Gina? Yeah, absolutely. And also love, you know, one thing that you talked about was that, you know, a lot of companies see this as an extra thing they have to do, right? But for Jacobs, it really is um, core to you as a successful business. So will you talk a little bit about, you know, how that that is the case? Yeah, well, so, I mean, it is, it's all about growth and, and you know, we're a people business, so I'll start there. And so if you don't have a culture that resonates with your people, your people aren't gonna be happy and they're gonna leave. So, and, and attrition, costs the business a lot of money. You know what I mean? So that in and of itself, we have to have a, an organization where people want to come and where they want to uh, stay and thrive and grow and continue to you know, help us drive um, you know, just a bigger and better business through the years. So I think it's, it's that, but also our customers. So our customers are demanding these kinds of, of actions. They didn't used to, but now our customers are just like us. They're citizens of the world. And so there are things that they care about, you know, and, and innovation is a big piece of our culture. Our clients are looking at us, not just to be innovative from what's a new technology or digital play, it's what approaches are you taking? How is that helping, you know, et cetera. And then through this process, we also added communities. You know, we used to talk about our constituencies as our customers, our employees, and our shareholders. And now our fourth constituency is our communities. And so I think that's, again, another piece. And that helps us grow because, again, the closer you are to the communities, the more you can help them solve problems, et cetera. So we really see it as very intertwined way that we approach our business. Yeah, I love that. And so, you know, to wrap things up, really is there are five keys to really embedding inclusion and diversity into who you are. It has to align with your culture and your values. And so, you know, with Jacobs, your story really was kind of getting to a place where inclusion was a priority. It has to be sponsored, supported, and from the very, very top. You know, Steve is invested. This is a priority for him. And I think he also has talked about working at a place that it feels like an inspirational place where people are excited to go that you have to build and engage from within. So making sure that your people are heard, that they're driving a lot of these um, changes in, in your organization forward, creating a truly actionable plan. So none of these big, um, great ideas, unless they have very specific steps that, that can make you achieve them, and then ultimately being able to measure and report 
so that people recognize that this isn't just a moment in time, but this is actually embedded and a priority for you as an organization. Anything else that we haven't hit on here as far as um, why it's been so successful for you? I think I'll go back to the brand because, you know, it's funny and, and you and I had talked about this. It's like now I feel like it's been such a long time ago, but we just launched the brand externally. It'll be a year and a couple of weeks. It'll be one year. So when that brand and that foundation really helped pull all of our people together. And so one thing that doesn't show up on that, that timeline, you know, we talked about CH position, but Jacobs has done 80 plus acquisitions over the years. And we never really had a brand and, and I mean that in the full sense of the word, not a logo or anything else. We didn't really have a brand that actually captured all of the great things from all of these companies. And so this was our opportunity to do that. And I think it was successful in, in that now all people felt like this was their brand, not a brand they inherited because they had been acquired and come in. That as the foundation when, you know, 2020, no matter what, starting in March, when all of us you know, had COVID and all the things that have happened throughout the year, had we not had that brand foundation and that pulling of all of us together, we would never have been able to get through this as well as we have. I mean, it really became kind of a galvanizing element. So I really, really believe that. And and that I think drives, again, it goes back to inclusion. That's the, you know, everybody felt included in that brand and a part of it. Oh, we love hearing that. Maybe maybe Jason will know why you're always our favorite client. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, it goes without saying. Thank you both. And, of course, Marietta, as always, you live up to the billing as one of our most <laughs> beloved clients yet again. You know, seeing how you sort of used your brand purpose and sort of to work with your DNI efforts you know, and seeing how those things can complement one another. I mean, it's a really interesting conversation and one a lot of our clients are obviously having. You know, before I let the two of you guys off the hook, I want to spend some time on some Q&A. Yep. I'd like to get it started with the first question because I was hearing the two of you guys talk. One of the things I'm, I'm really impressed with, with Jacobs, was your commitment to this and that D&I wasn't something because you did a brand program that suddenly mattered. It was germane to the organization long before. And I guess the question I have for you, Marietta, is when you think about inclusion and diversity, you know, how do you make sure it isn't just a moment in time? Because the last year has really sort of brought this to the forefront of a lot of CEOs and C-suite. But you clearly have been working at this longer than that. And so I guess I'd say, you know, how have you been able to do that? And how have you been able to make it more than just an event, but something that's clearly part of who you are long term? Yeah, I think, and this will oversimplify it, I think it has to be a part of who you are. It has to be a part of who you are, because that's the authentic piece. And you can't all of a sudden grab the mantra and, okay, we're going to go, you know, push inclusion. Then it's not authentic. So for us, it was a part of who we are. And then I think it's now we're just, quite frankly, we're more comfortable putting it out there and driving it very transparently and in the open. But the other thing that I do think is interesting about your question with moments in time, and this is where in that discussion I had with um, Steve, I think it's really kind of cool, is you actually do have to address moments in time when they go by. 
whether that's Black Lives Matter, whether that's Me Too, you know, whether that's uh, COVID, you know, you can't sit back and think somebody else is going to do it for you. You got to take action in the moment. And I think that's what Steve did this summer, you know, after Memorial Day weekend here in the United States, when he put out his speak up, speak out piece. And it still gives me goosebumps, to be honest with you, when I think about it, because we had never done that before. So I think it's both. It's got to be a part of you, but you've got to, you cannot sit on the sidelines. You can't be a bystander. If, if it really is a part of you, then you have to respond to those moments in time and take action. Yeah. So uh, we do have a question in the chat. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. And maybe I think this is best suited for you, Marietta. The attendee wrote, DNI used to represent progressive cultures, but now it's become expected and maybe as table stakes. How do you lean into it without looking like your company is jumping on the bandwagon? Or how do you make it a true differentiator for your culture? So it sounds like maybe yeah. at the roots of it is that, you know, a lot of organizations are sort, sort of just riding a trend where it doesn't necessarily seem like that's something you guys were doing. That's a great question. And I think the, the key is you can tell real quick whether it's authentic or whether it's a bandwagon. And so if you, again, if you act it and you see, okay, well, what is XYZ company? What are they actually doing about it? You know, have they put actions behind things? And that's why the measuring and reporting and the transparency, I think, is important because anybody and again, I'll, I'll say we used to, you know, say, yep, we're going to do this. And then, you know, years would go by and we didn't do it. So I think you have that's the way that you can differentiate between people that it really is a part of their culture are those that know it's a check mark and I need to do it. And, and Gina, your your ad that you put out there, you know, the example you had earlier, the, you know, the black and white of, okay, I'm going to put this right. ad here so I get the, yeah, I get the, I get the check mark. So people think I'm doing this, but when you look behind the curtain, there's nothing there. And so mm -hmm. that I think is, is, and by the way, we don't get everything right. We are not a perfect organization by a long shot, but I think having a culture actually where you can call yourself on it and say, you know what, that isn't good enough. Let's rethink this. Let's try again. Let's keep moving forward. That I think is, uh, is a big piece. I think so, also is, um, you know, the makeup of your executive leadership team and now your senior leadership team and now your board of directors has really changed the way it looks today, right? Yes. You know, the conversations are, uh, and again, I think that this proves the point of inclusion more than diversity is if you have an inclusive culture and then you bring the diverse perspectives, you know, backgrounds, ethnicities, gender and everything into that environment, you're going to have some really cool conversations. And I think that's a big piece now, too, is the discussions at the board, the discussions at the executive leadership team meetings, senior leadership team meetings are very, very different than they were back in the day. Now, I have to ask the question because you spent a full slide on it, number 27. You don't need to go back. But when I think about, you know, Marietta specifically, you know, how do you make inclusion and diversity an organizational priority if you don't have executive support? Because on slide 27 is a lovely picture of Steve with an amazing quote. And, you know, I feel for other clients we've worked with who have tried to climb this hill without having to Steve sort of doing that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how do you do this if you don't have the executive yes. support that you receive? 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, kind of the obvious, it's very hard. And the reason I think it's hard is because then you don't have the air cover to make some bold moves. And so, you know, if I flip that around, I think if you don't have that executive support, you shouldn't take that as writ and just give up. But I think you're going to like the folks in South Florida. Now, we had executive support, but they just, you know, they went off. They they came up with this action plan for justice and equality. So I think there are things like that that you have to do. And then I think you have to look for advocates and sponsors in successive uh, levels of leadership. And you, you just have to keep pushing on the door. Like, this isn't something that we didn't have it right, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, and we didn't give up. We just kept pushing. So, but it is difficult, but there are advocates and sponsors out there in your organizations. I have to believe that. Yeah. And so find them. Okay. okay. Another question just came in from the audience and this one's for Gina. From your perspective, as it relates to other companies or brands that you work with, do you feel like Jacobs was a brand or a company on the forefront of having a proactive voice or an opinion over these past six to eight months? Absolutely. You know, and it comes back to even our partnership, you know, in every partnership that we have um, in a brand program, we adapt to however the culture is, you know, we make it very special for that specific organization, because how does this organization run? How do they get things passed? How do they make things successful? And pretty early on, we realized we had to have a lot of meetings with a lot of people and <laughs> share it out, you know, and, you know, with these time zones and Marietta had me on the phone, you know, presenting things multiple times across the world. And, you know, it was really about getting people's voices heard. And so that's part of the culture. And, you know, another thing that we always love is that any big meeting actually starts with a culture of caring. And this, I think, was incorporated after your safety initiative where um, someone's asked to speak and, and give a moment about something to focus on or think about or an aha moment. And, you know, really embedding this idea that people's voices can be heard and they should be heard. And only that in that way, Marriott is the Remember, but like in the beginning, she was like, You want that to be our brand? And now she's like, Oh, yeah, like, of course, it feels so true to us. But, you know, just that journey was really what made it successful. And so it's a no brainer to me to see that, you know, you're making these bold and courageous statements and, and being really excited about where that's headed. So I'm curious another question came in from the attendees from Marietta. What were the Jacobs employees' reactions to the rebrand? Was there any pushback or resistance to change? No, I, I tell you, that's probably, that was what, of course, what I was worried about. But we had done, number one, and this was Gina and the team, I think, thought we were nuts because in those first <laughs> sessions, those first sessions, you know, when we said, no, 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 we've got to, these focus groups, they've got to be global. You know, we got to go to Singapore. You got to go to Australia, New Zealand. You know, you really have to engage all these folks around the world. But that's what made the difference. So I think that was the first piece of it that really had an effect on employees buy-in. And then we had a whole, you know, quite frankly, campaign, other kinds of things that we brought people into as we went through the process. And then we made it, you know, we made it fun. We had the whole celebration piece. And so, yeah, we really haven't had pushback. But the other thing is, I think it goes back to the statement I made earlier is, we were a collection of brands. You know, I came through an acquisition back in 99. And 
I never, you know, I still had, you know, my feeling for what that company was. And you, so you think about 80 different companies, tens of thousands of employees, all kind of looking for where's, what's us, you know, and does it reflect us? And this became us because we engaged people and, and, uh, and it's now our, you know, it's, it's our North star. It's our, um, or um, Southern Cross, I should say, from being, you know. Inclusive. It's your goal, that's right. That's you don't right. see North inclusive. Star in some parts of the world. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I told somebody that the other day, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, another question for you, Marietta, and this, this is getting back to some of your social efforts. You know, did you encounter any employees or maybe any internal stakeholders that felt that some of the social efforts were going maybe a little too far or wasn't sort of didn't really have a place in the workplace and if so how did you bring them along we did get a lot of pushback on that not a lot but we did get pushback and again and it came to steve because again you know steve shared this and we we you know it came to other people as well but he really hit it you know head on and we made sure that people felt like they could actually express those opinions it, but we, you know, in a lot of cases, um, Steve would pick up the phone and uh, not in an adversarial way, pick up the phone and call employees that sent him notes and have really great discussions about it. And again, you know, you can agree to disagree if you think your voice is heard and you can, you listen, truly listen to both sides of the, you know what I mean, the um, the discussion or the argument, or not argument, but the the topic. And so, you know, it wasn't, there's, you know, still people that probably don't understand what we're doing. But again, you have to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to continue to move forward. I'm going to continue to have everybody's voice be heard and listen. But uh, at the end of the day, this is something that we are going to move forward with. And, and I respect that. It's a real value of leadership. Sometimes some of the decisions leaders make aren't necessarily the most popular or universally popular. And so, yeah, it gets back to that previous question of having a leader who's willing to put their money where their mouth is, if so to speak. Yeah. 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 Great. I want to be respectful of time. I know we're coming up on, on the bottom of the hour. I want to thank both Marietta and Gina for both the insights you guys shared and the reflections you guys have provided. It, you know, it's both impressive to see, and it's also really interesting to hear some of the nuances of the journey that Jacobs went through to really create an inclusive and diverse organization. It's, it's something a lot of our other clients would envy. You know, we know from all of those clients, it's a lot easier said than done. And it's clear that Jake is doing kinds of things. And as you said, Marietta, Marietta, not perfect, but you guys are keep pushing and you're trying to make improvements. And that says a lot about the culture and, and your organization. We continuously are grateful for your partnership, Marietta, and your willingness to share the story. Thank you so much. Thank you for everybody who tuned in to this episode of Unlocking Brand. And once again, also thank you, Gina, for being a part of this and a catalyst of Team Siegel and Gale. I assure you, Marietta, uh, whenever there's an example that we want to share, usually she always goes to Jacobs and for good reason. So thank you. <laughs> hey, and the same is true on our side. You know that. So Thank you for listening. You can learn more about our work and read our thought leadership on SiegelGale.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. While you're at it, leave us a review. See you next time.